Well, good morning to each of you. I want to greet you in Jesus' name this morning. Tell you I'm glad to see you. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning and uh, that you have an interest in worshiping with the uh, people who call themselves followers of Jesus. And as is always my, my hope, my desire is that you're not just here because uh, you were raised to be in church. It's good to be raised to be in church. Um, in fact, if you're a parent here, you should raise your children to be in church. But I hope you're not here just because you were raised to be in church. I hope that you were here because you have a sincere desire to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to leave the things of the world and the flesh in our own lives behind and to grow ever more closely to the Lord. It's the season of year where we are focusing on Advent, on the coming of Jesus Christ. And as we did last week, we kind of opened this little short little series I'm going to be in, focusing on some very familiar Christmas texts, some very familiar Christmas texts out of the Scripture. Um, We've heard them before, but just again, allowing ourselves to uh, hopefully take some space to rest a bit and, and allow uh, the Lord to reteach us or to re-say to us what uh, he would like us to know. What does it look like for Jesus to come? Last week, we opened up this series by looking at saying, when Jesus came, scriptures called him Emmanuel, which wasn't his real name. He was called Jesus of Nazareth, but called him Emmanuel because that word means God with us. And I think that served as a good way for us to open up. What does it look like? What does it mean for us to say that God came to be with us? God came in human form to dwell with us. And I think the way I'd like to see us uh, moving through this is we're going to just continue unfolding what that may look like. In other words, today we're going to maybe add another piece or a, a further clarification. And next week, I hope, another clarification. And it's all still based on that first thing. In other words, we're not talking about like four distinct things that are true, but four things that as we hone in on what uh, it means to say God came to be with us, uh, what, what that looks like. So today, if you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, we're going to read a little lengthier text. I hope you're, you're here this morning and ready to pay attention uh, and ready to pay attention to the Word of God. It's something that I don't always say, but I should often enough say that you know it. Uh, when, I, when I say it, you'll know I know what he's going to say. That when you come to a sermon time and you're together as a body of believers, the most important words you will hear are the words that are read from the book here. Now, hopefully my words will give some, some additional insight or clarity or understanding or help you. One of my roles, I think, is to help arrange God's word in ways that, that fleshes out what I think God wants to save out of a text. But the most important words are here. These are the words you don't get to argue with. You can, you can argue with me and my words if you want. You can discuss, and, and we can discuss these words too. But you're always going to have to come to a place or start from the, pre the premise that these words are correct, and if I don't understand them or, or I disagree with them, then, then maybe I don't fully understand something. So I'm going to read a text this morning. I'm going to read a, actually a little longer text than I usually do, which is kind of weird because we're really going to just be looking at one verse, honestly. But I think we have to know the whole story to have that verse come to the forefront. So Luke chapter 1, we're going to start almost in the very beginning of Luke chapter 1 in verse 5. We're going to focus today on the interchange that Zechariah had with an angel, but I want to look at Zechariah's own words when his tongue was loosened. We'll just kind of walk through that. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Again, please, these words you know, you've heard them before. So don't check out. Don't say, well, I've heard them before, but do your best to uh, engage in them and let them afresh wash over 
your mind. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children. Sorry, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he, he being Zechariah, was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb." And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Now, I'm going to fast forward through the story and not read all of this to you. But you know how the story goes. He has this angelic encounter. And we're reading. And I wanted to pick up this because some of the verses I read about what the angel said to him. But you know that Zachariah was unable to speak. His wife, Elizabeth, did in fact become pregnant. They kind of hid away. In fact, Mary comes to visit them during the time of pregnancy. And then it's time for John the Baptist, as we know him, to be born. And he's born. And you have this pivotal moment where they come to him and say, well, we should call him this. or we should call him this. And John, still, I'm sorry, Zechariah, still unable to speak, finally writes down, he shall be called John. And it's at that moment that his mouth is, begin, is, is opened, his tongue is opened, and he can again speak. Now... I want to move to this because this is what I want to read for you this morning then. In verse 67, still in Luke chapter 1, in verse 67, we pick up the story now and read what happened when John was born and his father's mouth was opened again. Verse 67, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited there's the theme. God has visited, right? God with us. That's what we're picking up and linking back to last week. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation in the house 
sorry, a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him, might serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then I'm sure he must have turned to his child who was perhaps in his own arms or perhaps right there with him. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. God, thank you so much for your text, for your word this morning. You've preserved that gives us details into the story of the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. This morning, I pray that it would once again grab a hold of us, this idea of the sun beginning to rise, of the mercy that came to the, God, the people of Israel, the people who were living in darkness, and the mercy that comes to us when you begin to shine upon us, when you begin to reveal yourself to each of us. What it means to say that you came to be with us through Jesus. Would you teach us? Would you help us to learn? Would you help us to apply? Would you help us to grow this morning in Jesus' name? Amen. So I entitled my sermon that Jesus is light, and it's based almost entirely, I mean, we're picking up pieces, but it's almost based almost entirely on the very last verse that we read. Zechariah ends his prophecy as he's looking at his newborn son, and he's talking about all the wonderful things that God is about to do, and he ends it with these words, words that were very clear, very specific, and I would tell you, if you don't already know this, words that were actually reaching long, but back, way back in the pages of history to a man named Isaiah, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And to guide our feet into the way of peace. Those were words that Isaiah actually said. If you look back, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2, then you read very similar sounding words that God prophesied was going to come through the Messiah. It's what they were looking for. And they saw themselves, the people of Israel, they saw themselves in a dark, dark place. They saw themselves in the shadow of death. For they knew every time they raised their head a little bit, every time they protested a little bit, every time it seemed like they could make any strides in what they thought was being faithful to God, the God of the heavens, then the Romans were there and they would lash out very quickly and they were very unafraid to bring death to their doorstep. They were very unafraid to say, if you disobey, you will pay with your life. They were very brutal. So they were living in a land of dark, you know, Again, to keep us from just reading a text, I would again invite you to just think, let your mind think a bit about the kinds of darkness that you see in your world around you. Or, if you may be so brave to do this, the kinds of darkness that you feel pressing in right here. Or maybe even that you are like feeling like is inside of us. Now, Language doesn't maybe always make us feel very good. But you can, you can say all kinds of things you'd like to about why it should work this way or why it shouldn't work this way, but 
there's no way around other than saying that uh, for many, many people, this time of year is actually the most difficult time of year they ever have. For many people, and I would say we'd be amiss to think that it doesn't hit a room of this size, people of this number of people, for many people, that darkness feels very, very real during this time of year. So I think it's really applicable, not just to read verses about what they talked about and how Isaiah prophesied that Jesus came and all those things, but to wrestle with or to invite God to reveal to us the, the truth of this verse, that when Jesus came, he came to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. What is it about light? What is it about light that we want so much, that we need so much? Why is light so precious? Why is light so important? Do you think about these questions? I think you ought to because the theme of light and darkness is all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. I, I, I could have kept you here for hours. I won't. I'm not planning to. Keep you here for hours in picking up every time or every instance or every part of Scripture where light and darkness is, is at play, where there's, a, where there's a, a theme of light and darkness. I picked some that I think will be helpful in moving us through the message, but it's, it's a big thing in the Scripture, so I think it should be something we spend our time thinking about. You know, light, light dispels darkness, right? Light dispels darkness. Actually, I think, I'm not a scientific kind of guy, so I don't, like, I don't know all this stuff, and some of you, I'm sure, could clue me in much more than I already know, than what I under, I'm aware of or understand. But I think I'm correct in saying that actually darkness isn't anything except for the absence of light. Like darkness isn't, like it doesn't exist except for the absence of light. So light dispels darkness, and we need light to see, right? When your power goes out, you either have an alternative source of energy or you hope to have some backup system or you want flashlights, right? Because you have to be able to see. It gets dark. When you go camping out in, in the woods at nighttime, then you bring some kind of light because when it gets dark, you can't see where you're going anymore. Light also brings clarity, right? We have this phrase like the light came on in my head or this shed light on some situation. And by that, we, we, we may mean like that you can see where you're going, but we actually, we mean clarity. Like it brings clarity to something. I would submit that's really along the heart of a lot of the light and darkness we see in Scripture because it brings clarity to us. If, you've, if, you've, if you know the overarching story of the Bible, which is to say that God created us to have perfect fellowship with him, to be fully dependent on him, to have humility before him. We talk about these things in revival meetings. And he created us to worship him. And then sin came and broke that. And from then on, we have walked not in clarity. The darkness that's there is because we don't see things. Which is ironic, right? Because they took a bite of the tree because they wanted to know the difference between good and evil. And instead, it plunged them into darkness. And the journey of coming back to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the journey of being with God eventually in eternity is a story of light bringing clarity back that we see again who God really is and who we really are, and that's when we respond to him. So, light and darkness. It's a theme prevalent in Scripture all the way through. For example, of course, you could go to the very first, you know, verses in the Bible, right? In the beginning, 
was the earth, it's formless and void, and darkness was there. And then God said what? You say it. What did God say? Oh, do you ever stop for a moment and think what it could, I mean, this isn't even possible or conceivable, but what would it have been like if God would not have uttered those words? Let there be light. If God would have somehow, again, just, just allow, uh, indulge me in, in some, some goofy line of thought because it couldn't be like this. But if God would have somehow fashioned all the animals and put water there and drew water back and made land there and, and fashioned all the, the trees and then made us and said, now go forth, be fruitful and multiply, and it, and it was darkness. What would that have been like? You know, actually, we see two glimpses of what that might have been like. In the book of Exodus, when God brings a plague of darkness, and in the book of Revelation, when there's a judgment of darkness. Do you know in Revelation, I, I believe I'm correct in saying this, that it says that people began to gnaw on their own tongues. That's what John saw when God brought a, a judgment of darkness. I submit to you, we would not have lived. We would not have lived. Our human race would have petered out. This neither here nor there. But this theme is all the way through. And I'm going to just illustrate what God means when he talks about light and darkness. So I'm going to go to the Proverbs. I don't usually bring a lot of Proverbs out. And, and um, I was actually thinking through whether I might want to preach through Proverbs sometime. I'm not sure what that would look like. But in Proverbs 4.18, it says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. This is the path of righteous. The path of the righteous is like the sun coming up, and they walk, and they go more and more. And the very next verse says, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. There's a contrast made in the wisdom literature of these scriptures that there's a difference between light and darkness. Those who walk right before the Lord walk in an, an, an ever-illuminating path of righteousness. Have you noticed how when you grow closer to the Lord and you walk faithfully and are obedient to Him, how more and more things seem to make sense? You, you see things fall into place and you think, why didn't I see that before? Have you also noticed that when you go the other direction and you begin to walk away from the Lord, that darkness seems to become more prevalent, that you begin to understand less. Now, we often are tricked by this because we don't see that in ourselves very often, that we are seeing less and less. But it's the reality because what happens often, if the Lord has taken us through these cycles, what happens often, one day we wake up and, and then we look back and we say, what was I doing and thinking? Right? I was walking in darkness. I didn't even know what I was stumbling over. Because I couldn't see it. Now, I have to keep us on track and keep us moving through the theme. And so very quickly, as God begins to unfold light and darkness in the scriptures, he begins to also unveil his plan for what he's going to do through the Messiah. Begins to plan, to, to, to illustrate as a big story, there's darkness in the world because of our sin, but light is coming. The light is going to come. In Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7, as he's talking about his servant, Jesus, uh, who will be Jesus, he says, I will give you as a covenant for the people. And look what he says about that. This covenant is a light for the nations to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Look at all those references he brings. He says, I'm going to help you see in three different ways what it means to be a light for the nations. And all three of them are pictures of people coming out of darkness into light, right? When you are blind, all you see is darkness. To open the eyes of the blind. When you are in prison, in a dungeon, all you see is darkness. To bring those prisoners out from those who sit in the darkness of any kind of prison to release them. 
These are themes that Jesus picked up on when he walked on the earth and began to talk, right? He said, the year of the Lord's favor is upon me. I'm here to do exactly these things. These things. Release the people. Yeah, just a couple of verses later, and still in Isaiah 42, he says this about his, his servant. says, I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. This is the kind of things that were bubbling there as the people were beginning to see, if we're in darkness, we need light, and God is going to send this light. Notice again, the theme of light, it, it, it shows the way forward. It brings clarity. It brings understanding. It helps us to know what to do and where to go. Let me now just jump into the beginning of the Gospel of John, for this is when Jesus comes on the scene, and John writes such beautiful poetic words about the coming of Jesus, and he picks up on this very theme. He says this, John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then look what he says. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Keep that coupled together in your minds and hearts. Not just this morning, but not, and not even just this Christmas season, but for life. The light that you are seeking is the life that Jesus brings. In him was life, and life was the light of men. Now notice what it says, though. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. We just read about him in our text this morning. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And in verse 9, he says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. If you would keep on reading there, you realize that the darkness rejected that light. But I want to stop there for this morning. Because Jesus, as John introduces him, uses this very same theme we're here this morning. Matthew, as we introduced the Gospel of Matthew last week, he says, when Jesus came, then it was God coming to be with us. And, and they're not disagreeing with each other, but when John chose to talk about it, he said, let's talk about it in terms of light and darkness. That there was darkness here, but Jesus came to be the light. In fact, if you keep reading the Gospel of John, you realize that Jesus actually said those words more than once, that he's the light. The most well-known one is in John 8, 12. Jesus looks at all of them, and he says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Again, he's coupling those two words together, light and life. He says, if, you wanna follow, if you're going to follow after me, you will not walk in darkness. Again, you know these words, brothers and sisters, but do you take them to heart? Do you, do, you, do you pound the stake down and say, if I want to know how to proceed in life, it must be found in Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. I will not have any illumination, any, any life in me, any way forward, any clarity of how to make decisions unless Jesus is at the center of me and the things I'm thinking about and the things I'm doing. A couple chapters later in John 12, 46, Jesus says the same things again. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I wanted to use this verse, especially because of the line I opened up with in just bringing it here to application, bringing it here to, to, to people here. This means something. It's not just stuff back there. It's, it's the stuff we're facing. And if you're here this morning and the darkness feels pretty prevalent, this verse is for you. Jesus said he came into the world for this very reason. As the light so that whoever believes in him may not remain in darkness, may not stay in that place. 
I don't know all the answers or how to, how to get there. I don't know necessarily how, what, what steps he has in front of you, but I can say with supreme confidence to you that Jesus does not want you to remain in darkness and that he is the way out. He's the light. Pursue Jesus, you will walk towards the light. You will find freedom in the light. Now, let me stop for a little bit. Here's the verse we started from. John, as he was a little baby and his dad was looking at him and prophetically speaking about the role that John would play in ushering in the way for Jesus to come, says, you came and you're the, you the beginning of a sunrise. You're the beginning of a sunrise. Jesus came to give light to those or he's gonna come to give light to those who sit in darkness. And I think we have to just pause for a moment then and say, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me here today? What does it mean that Jesus came for that those who sit in darkness, maybe I'm the one sitting in darkness, maybe I'm the one meant to help someone else to, to find the light. I don't know what that means for you. But to think about what does this mean for me? Now, while you're thinking about that, I did this last week. I'd like to have a little, little time with the kids again. I think it's kind of fun to talk to them. So you kids want to come forward again? I'm going to tell you a little story today. It's about light and about sunrise. You can come up here, have a seat on the floor. You actually, you know what? You guys can sit here today, actually, I think. You can sit on the bench. You don't have to sit on the floor. You can, have, you can sit on the bench here, and if there's too many of you, you can still sit on the floor. It's fine. But if you come on this side, at least I can all talk to you on one side. Come on up and have a seat right over here. Keep scooting over so there's room for all of you. You have to be down here, though, unless you want to tell the story. I really tried to find a picture to go with my story, because, and I found one little one, but it was, like, really tiny. And if I would have put it up there, it would have been, like, too blurry. You wouldn't have been able to see it, because I think you would have probably laughed at my picture. But I, I, I can't bring it. So let me, let me tell you a little story uh, to help us illustrate what's happening in our, what I'm, if you're paying attention to my preaching, what I'm talking about, I'm going to sit down again because I don't, I don't like standing way up you and making you guys look like this all the way up there. So a long time ago, when I was, uh, this was about 2005, so uh, this was about, I don't know, 20, almost 20 years ago, I was here at this church and I was a leader of the youth. So if you think of, if you know, your, if you have older brothers and sisters and you think of Jerry and Sarah and Nate and Geneva, that's what, that's what Heidi and I were doing. And we took our youth on a mission trip. And we went to a place called Nicaragua. Had anybody ever heard of Nicaragua? It's down in, in Central America, and they speak Spanish there. And we did a lots of things on this mission trip. Actually, some of you have, have uh, dads that were on this mission trip with us. Um, but we did lots of things. But one of the things we did is we went way out in the campos, which is like the, the wilderness kind of thing. And we were, went to this little village and this village was so tiny and backwards that they didn't have any electricity. They didn't have running water, which means you couldn't go in the house and turn on a faucet. Um, when, we, when the guys, when we went to go take a bath, we went down to the river and took a bath in the river. Uh, and we, they, they, most, of their do, most of their houses didn't have doors on them. So you just kind of walked in and the chickens just kind of walked in and the piglets just kind of walked in and they were really tiny houses and they, they had basically one room and 
uh, they, they slept in that room and they ate in that room and they sat in that room to talk and they, it, it, this is what they had. They were very poor. One of the things we were doing at this uh, village is we were helping them re- work on their church building. And that night, the first night that we were there, we slept in the church building. So now when I say we, we slept in there, they, we did, they didn't have beds. So we didn't like lay on a bed like you guys are used to laying. We had these things called hammocks. Do you guys know what a hammock is? Hammock is strung up on this side and this side, and then it like makes a little U-shape, right? And you kind of lay in. These were just canvas, plain canvas. Actually, I still have the hammock that I slept in that night. Um, and uh, we hung those across. I think there was about six of us guys that slept in the church that night. And we hung them from rafter to rafter. And we actually took up almost the whole church. That's about how big the church was. It was pretty small. And there was no windows. Like, they had window openings, but no windows. And they had a door opening, but no door in there. And I was right by, right by the door, so I was like the furthest one out. And I was trying to fall asleep. Now, I'm used to sleeping on my stomach when I sleep. I don't know how many of you sleep on your stomachs, but when you sleep on a hammock, you can't sleep on your stomach. That gets really awkward really fast. And you can't even sleep on your side, because when you lay on your side, you also go, like your body makes a shape like this, and that's not really comfortable. So I was on my back, and there was all kinds of weird noises, right? Have you ever gone camping out in the woods, and like you, you hear all... So I was hearing chickens clucking, and pigs snorting, and I was hearing, you know, I didn't know what else, because I heard some other squawks and screeches. I didn't know what they were, because we were in the, like in the, out in the wilderness of Nicaragua, and I was like, so I didn't sleep really well, and then it got worse, because I don't know what time it was, because I didn't, I didn't look, but I would guess somewhere around midnight, a giant thunderstorm came, and I mean giant, like it was thundering and lightning and I'm in this little building, and I forgot to tell you because the building has a tin roof, so it's a metal roof, and it is just dumping buckets of water, and it is loud. And I'm laying there, and I can't sleep, and I can't sleep, and I try to sleep, and I try to sleep, and it's dark, and I hear weird noises, and I hear lightning. It's like really bright. I see lightning. I don't hear it. I see light. Sometimes I heard it because it sizzled a few times, and I heard thunder crashing, and you know what I began to think? What do you think I began to think? Anybody have a guess what I began to think? Ollie, what do you think I began to think? It's a real woods, yeah. It was a real woods. (laughs) You know what I began to think? I began to lay there and think, I'm not going to sleep tonight. I really, really just want the sun to come up. I'm just waiting for the sunrise to come. Here, just leave her alone and she can sit there. That's fine. I began to lay in that hammock and I knew I wasn't going to fall asleep because it was raining and thundering and lightning and there was all kinds of animal noises and I was just praying, God, can you just make the sun come up? Because at least then we can get up and do things. At least then we can go back to work. I'm already not going to sleep. And I was just waiting and waiting and it seemed like it took a really long time. I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that where it's nighttime and you're waiting for the light to come, but that's what I was just waiting. And finally, finally, I could see this little glimmer. Like, I think the sky is getting light outside. Finally. And I'm pretty sure all of us were in the same place because I think about as soon as he could even see anything, all of us like got out of our hammocks and were like, let's go do something because we were so waiting. But that story to me illustrates what the text today is trying to tell us is that When we don't have Jesus in our lives, 
when we don't follow after him, give ourselves to him, then there's darkness and things happen and we don't understand things. And Zechariah, in the text this morning, said that God sent Jesus to make that sun start rising and glimmer started coming. Actually, he sent John first. Zechariah said he sent John first to make that sun start coming up. And then Jesus was going to come as the light. And the same is true for you. That when you feel like you don't understand things or you're walking in darkness or if you're afraid of the darkness, or you, then you have to just think, Jesus came to be the light. Jesus came to bring light to my life so that I can see. And even when we sometimes have to wait for it, we want to wait and wait and wait and wait on God and look after God and, and ask Jesus, come be my light so that we start seeing that sky begin to open up and the light comes. That was my experience in Nicaragua. And it reminded, that's what story I thought of when I thought of our text this morning. So I thought it'd be fun to tell you that story as to help you think about what we're talking about this morning. Okay, you can go back to your seats because I'm going to have some things I want to talk with the adults about what it means for us. And you can keep listening to that too. Thanks for being here this morning. What do I do with the knowledge that Jesus is the light of the world? I have a couple of suggestions for us this morning. I think first of all, and this is for everyone, not just uh, adults, but children and everyone. I think first of all, it should be your greatest endeavor to receive the light that came. To receive the light that came. Paul phrased it this way as he's writing his second letter to the Corinthians. Look at the words he chooses to use. Tying this theme together, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Step number one, if this is not something you've done already, step number one for you this season in thinking about Jesus being the light and what that means for you is to receive that light, to actively receive that light, to look to Jesus and say, I need light in my heart. I need to know the way. I need to have clarity. I need you to be light. I need you to open my eyes where they're blinded. I need you to release me from the prison that I'm in. Jesus, you are the light, and I want to receive you. Secondly, I would say that uh, if you have done that step, then you should realize that you continue in this by walking in the light. Again, these are verses, themes that we can pull from all of Scripture here. I'm just going to read a, a, a short snippet from 1 John this time. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, This is the message that we have heard from him and we proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Walk in the light. You notice that those verses had a few more practical things in them, right? Because you cannot say I'm walking in the light and not have fellowship with your fellow brothers and sisters. It doesn't work that way. Walk in the light that you have received. But that's not even all. 
Because I think as you continue to press in and look at all the ways that God chose to bring light out in the verses of the scriptures, we know that we are to proclaim that light. We're to walk in it ourselves, but we're also to proclaim that light. When Peter writes this, and I love this because we're getting different authors who carry the same theme and reinforce what God is really trying to say to us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse uh, 9, he says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Same theme. He called you out of that darkness and into his marvelous light, and you should proclaim the excellencies of the one who did that. May this season of Advent and preparation, and in fact the Christmas season itself, be a season in which you not only receive the light yourself, and you not only walk in that light yourself, but you proclaim that light as you have conversations with people. And again, I could just, uh, this is kind of the same thing, but I think there's a different twist on this. For this is the theme that Jesus was talking about when he, in Matthew chapter four, said these words. He said, you're the salt of the earth. He said, you're the light of the world. And at the end of that, by saying, as he talked about that light, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Always an interesting set of verses for me. You've probably heard me say this before. I was thinking about putting here at this point is that you should be the light yourself because that's what he says. You are the light. But I'm realizing as he says that, he says that something should be done in a way that as you let your light shine before others, which is really just a reflection, I believe. It's the light of Jesus, actually, you're putting on display. As you do that, people will see your good works and do what? They give glory to God. Now, notice that's not always how it works, right? Not usually when you see people doing good things, usually you tend to say, wow, that was a really good thing you did. But somehow Jesus said when we're truly the salt of the earth and the light of the world, Jesus shining through us, lights in the world, that people see the good things we're doing and their minds are drawn to God. May it be an endeavor of yours this season that you would be light in such a way that people don't pat you on the back but give glory to God. Now, you may be sitting here this morning and saying, well, you said this is going to be practical kind of things, but, but this isn't very practical. You're just reading these verses, and I would tell you there's some very practical things in those verses. But I'm also going to tell you I'm glad that you had that kind of question in your head. Whether you did or not, you don't have a choice because I'm going to follow that theme for a little bit. Because there's some very practical... One of the reasons I wanted to read the first verses that I read about when, uh, when uh, Zachariah had the encounter with the angel is because there's some nuggets tucked away in there that we've already kind of covered, but they're going to bring to light, I think, in a, in a, in a stronger way. When Zachariah was, was seeing the angel, and the angel was telling him, your wife is going to have a baby, and he's going to be a forerunner for Jesus, and he's going to do wonderful work. He says this. He says... He, excuse me. He, <clears throat> excuse me. He's going to come... Let me get my, my, my throat back so I don't cough in your ear. He said, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, I don't know about you, but I think in those verses, rather than just seeing sort of like, oh, this is a nice, you know, way of, you know, the angels giving Zechariah some information about what John was going to be a forerunner for. I think we should look at that and just find, like, the most practical things there. Look what he says. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. 
Now, in some grand sense, stepping back a bit, the, the, the biggest statement of that is God's own heart turning towards us, sending Jesus, right? But in a much smaller sense, and he's quoting Malachi here, but in a much smaller sense, he's helping us see that when we come to the light, when the light is coming into our hearts, then it changes our relationships with each other. You know, one thing I hear so often as a pastor, and it's troubling to me, is to hear people say these two things at the same time. To say that I'm growing so much in the Lord and I'm closer to the Lord than I've ever been and I'm becoming more holy and, and all this stuff about their own personal walk with the Lord and at the same time talk about how they just can't get along with their family or they just can't get along with somebody else. And I think, I don't, I don't think those two can exist together. I read the verses in 1 John to you, didn't I? That if we walk in the light, we will have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all of our sins. I, these verses, fathers, since that's specifically named fathers, as we allow the light to work in our lives, one of the very practical results of that should be it turns our hearts to our children. Now, we could flip that in all kinds of ways because it's true for all kinds of relationships within your family. Even the second phrase, the disobedient, turning the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Now, if you would read the entire chapter of Isaiah 42, I read a couple verses out of it, you would see that it, that theme is very present there. It's very present that when God is opening eyes of people, that he's also taking those who are stumbling around in darkness and helping them uh, to, to move from disobedience to wisdom, to doing what's right. These are the things that are true in our lives as well. That when light begins to dawn, it should be turning us away from what is disobedience and towards what is right. It should be pulling us to those people who have walked with Jesus for years and years and saying, what can you teach me about what it means to follow after the light? Again, we don't always see that, do we? Sometimes we, are, we say we're growing by leaps and bounds, and it's actually moving us away from people who have been faithfully walking with Jesus. You know, let me say this in a way that hopefully gives clarity and doesn't confuse you. There's a real... There's a reality to the fact that we all grow at different times in different seasons. And, and sometimes we're growing a lot and sometimes it feels like we're not growing as much. And that's true for all of us as a whole. That's always true. But it troubles me when someone is growing a lot and I see that growth in the Lord and somehow it, it makes them look around at everyone else and say, why are you all not getting it? I'm done. I'm out of here. You guys are just like not even serious about following Jesus. I don't think that's really what the light does inside of us. To make ready for the, for the Lord a people prepared. Now, I wasn't sure if I should do this, but I can do this, I think, without mentioning any names. But just this week, just this week, I received a text message from somebody here in the church. And I get lots of text messages, so. But just this week, I received one and I want to show it to you this morning because I could not believe, as I had already prepared my message, and I could not believe how the themes of what we're talking about this morning were present in this text message. Here's what I was sent. Pray for us as we gather together as a family on Saturday. 
that we can shine through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, with our actions and words. It's been really heavy on my heart for my family to get to know Jesus, for the darkness to break through. This is real stuff, friends. Light and darkness, and the darkness that's present in our own lives and the lives of those around us. And it's, it's practical. When Jesus came to be the light of the world and to be our light, he meant that light to shine through us and to affect those people around us. I can tell you, I'm really happy to tell you that uh, I received another text last evening that uh, thanked me for praying and saying that it was like one of the best gatherings they've ever had. So God answering a prayer to bring light into a scenario, to bring light into a family. Is this where your heart beats this morning? Let me go back to my list because we got to finish off with one more thing that's I think really important. Because I think along with receiving that light and walking in that light and proclaiming that light and pointing to the light, may sound weird to say this, but be ready for the light. You know, that last phrase, the verse I just had on there was that John came to make a people prepared for the Lord. And I don't know, sometimes we get lost in this Jesus came and this advent of Jesus and we we sort of find ourselves only facing this direction. And we forget that we are still to be ready for the light. Let me read to you Isaiah chapter 60, the first three verses. Isaiah chapter 60, the first three verses says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, the kings to the brightness of your rising. Now, you could look at those verses and say, they are speaking of the first coming of Jesus. And I would say, that's correct. Because when Jesus came, and then he died, and he rose again, and the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, and then the light truly went forth from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The nations heard about the light of Jesus Christ. But when you would say that, I could also say, I don't think that's really truly correct yet. I don't see, we don't see kings by multiple, uh, multiple kings coming and just bringing the, coming to the brightness of Jesus rising. These, these verses, these words find a fulfillment, not just in the first coming of Jesus, but in the second coming of Jesus as well. And we find the echo of that if you would read the very last book of the Bible. We see that darkness is present. We live in some of that darkness already. We see that darkness is present. And when John gets to the end of the Revelation, I read some of these verses last week. We're going to pick up again in Revelation chapter 21. It says this, as he's talking about the temple, um, the, the, the new Jerusalem coming down, not the temple. He's talking about the new Jerusalem coming down. And he says this in verse 22, chapter 21 of Revelation. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And then he says this. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, look at what he says here, by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there, always day. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations." You see, this is a more full fulfillment of Isaiah 61 to 3 than what you have seen so far. Let me finish those verses just to make sure I clarify or just to make sure I read the end of it. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Please, 
If you have not done so, would you receive the light of Jesus Christ in your life? And if you have done so, would you be willing to make an effort to walk in that light as you interact with your family and your friends, as you think about the coming of Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to proclaim that light to them, that it comes out of your mouth? Are you willing to point to that light through your words and your actions? And would you please make sure that you're ready for that light to come back, for the light to enter into our darkness again, which we desperately need? Those are the words I read to you, and those are the pivotal words which will make all the difference into your eternal destiny. God, thank you so much for the promises we have in your word, for what it meant and what happened when you came to be with us, that you brought light, you brought freedom, you brought clarity, you, you brought a cleansing of our sin, you brought an awareness that we need that cleansing and an answer for how that cleansing should happen. Thank you, Jesus, through your blood, by your death, by your resurrection, by those things, by your work, Jesus, we are saved, by placing our faith and trusting in that. Thank you that we can receive the light. Thank you that when we believe in you, we don't have to remain in darkness, but we can walk in the light of life. Thank you that even as the darkness presses around us, that you have given us light, light to walk in, light to dispel that darkness, light to know the way, light to have clarity. And God, we just want to be honest with you and say that we struggle with that sometimes, that we somehow inexplicably, though we would never want to admit it, that we, are, we, we, we keep being pulled just like the rest of the world in darkness did, that when the light came, they rejected it. We receive you this morning, Jesus, to light our way. Thank you that you came down into our darkness. Help us to put that light on display. Thank you. And Jesus, sometimes we'd rather put our heads in the sand, but the reality is when we look around us, there's a lot of darkness encroaching. Your word even says that's how it's going to be, and so we're not shocked by that. But we want it to turn our hearts to you. We want it to lead us by your grace to double down and, and hang on all the more and say, oh, light of the world, light my way. Show the path forward and come. Come, Jesus. Come. Put your light on glorious display. Bring us to this place where there's no need for sun or moon or stars, where there's no night, but where you, your glory, Father, and you, Jesus, as the lamp, are truly the light of the world. And we will live in your light. We praise you. We thank you. That is what we want to celebrate this year. Looking back, but looking forward and saying, the light is coming. The light is coming. The light is coming. We pray for dawn. In Jesus' name, amen.